Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. It's really good to be here and in such glorious weather. You see, us southerners from Bedford hear all sorts of scurrilous rumours about the weather up north, but it's really not true, is it? Clearly evidence this morning, so thank you for turning on the sunshine. It's much appreciated. Um, As Owen said, my name's Ruth, and I'm married to Colin, been married to Colin for um, 30 years, and... um, yeah, I have, and so have you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we've been friends with Owen and Morwen and the family for. Well, yep, and uh, it's really great to be able to come here today. I am um, for a, a living. I work with a guy called Paul Johnson, who's one of the elders at King's Arms. We run the FP Impact Training Base at Bedford, which is. Great fun, sometimes has its challenges with lots of 18, 19 year olds. Well, we've, we've actually got one 53 year old this year and he plays the mandolin. He's real quality, he's a short, short guy and uh, he, he plays this mandolin with all these 18, 19 year olds doing their best with their bass guitars and all the rest of it. So, yeah, we love it. And uh, so that's what I do for a job and we're about to have a training block for five days next week. So we'll be seeing all these youngsters we haven't seen since since September um, back again with us so we're very much looking forward to that Um, I I want to speak uh, this morning about making good decisions based on the book of Ruth now that's not some sort of bizarre ego trip I'm on that I thought I know I'll I'll keep saying my own name as I go through this morning and then um, I'll feel better even if you're not quite sure what I'm up to I'm not on that at all but I I just um, I was reading the book of Ruth again a little while ago and I just felt God speak to me from that so that's what we're going to do but first of all I'm just going to pray and uh, commit this time to God Yeah, Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to just be here this morning, to be part of this gathering, to see your work of grace here. And Father, as we just come together to look at this, I pray, Holy Spirit, you just bring things alive to us. I pray words would be translated into something else, a work of your grace, your spirit. Lord, I pray we wouldn't go away kind of thinking, that was good, and it would just touch our minds but touch our hearts and spirits too Lord touch me again as I just um, speak these words God breathe on them I pray do something significant for your kingdom's sake I ask for your glory Lord Amen Okay what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a, a sort of overview of the story of Ruth with just a few comments in that I'm just then going to home in on one particular passage and then draw some uh, principles out from that on making good decisions and then a couple of applications which I hope will help is that alright? very good, okay well the story of Ruth opens uh, giving us the historical background and it says the story set in the time uh, when the judges ruled. Now the judges, which is the previous book in the Old Testament, 
were called and raised up by God in times of national crisis or when they were, the people of God were worshipping idols or when there were armies about to invade and sometimes if things were really bad, all three. And these judges would be raised by God to kind of set a new direction for the people of God, to call them to repentance, to put things in order again, and then they would move on. And this cycle, if you read Judges, is they sort of go round around the block, you think, for goodness sake, why don't you get the message and put your act in order? Well, you know, we all know what we're like, don't we? So it's not totally unexpected that they kind of tended to repeat the same sort of mistakes. In this setting is the book of Ruth, and the main characters, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, left Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread, and one of the reasons it was called the house of bread was because it's set in a very fertile area of, um, of land. So it's a little surprising that there was a famine at the time. We're in a particularly fertile part of the world. And this family decided to leave and go to Moab, a foreign land. Now why go there? Well, when we look at it, the people of Moab, the Moabites, who were descendants of Lot, they were not to be admitted to the congregation of Israel. Because as a nation, they worshipped an idol called Chemosh. Now, not particularly great, even to be worshipping idols, but this particular idol worship required human sacrifices to be made. So, bad luck to us lot, basically. And during the early time of the judges, the king of Moab, at that point, had invaded Israel and oppressed the people of God for 18 years. So, in a nutshell... The people of Moab were enemies to the people of Israel. So why go from Bethlehem to Moab? It doesn't hugely make sense. And it is possible that perhaps this family had just lost faith in God's provision. So they thought, well, there's no food here. We need to do something. We need to act. So they decide to move to, uh, to Moab. They allowed, really, their circumstances to take them away from God. They literally left the promised land and moved away. And that piece of information is quite important as we go a little bit further on. The story continues with the death of Elimelech. And the two sons married Moab women, Orpah and Ruth. Ten years elapsed. And during that time, both sons died, leaving no children. So Naomi had lost her, son, her two sons, her husband, and had no grandchildren. And again, this was quite an important, a big deal. Her family were literally dying off, and there was nobody else coming through to sort of fill the gaps. Learning that the famine is now over, Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem she clearly decided that her best options were to return. She persuades Orpah to remain behind, but Ruth goes with Naomi. We'll come back to this a little bit later on. To care for her mother-in-law, having returned to Bethlehem, Ruth goes out gleaning, which is a word we don't perhaps use every day or read in the Daily Mail, but basically gleaning means to pick up the scraps 
that were left behind in the harvest. Part of what was set out in the Old Testament laws were the edges of the fields were not to be gathered up, all that was picked up. They were to be left for those who were poor so that they would have some sort of provision. And in doing this, Ruth followed Naomi's instructions very carefully. Now Ruth has gone from being in Moab where she belongs, that's her people. She's now gone to being in Israel. She's now the foreigner. She's also a woman. And this does make her particularly vulnerable when she's out in the field gleaning. And she ends up working in a field owned by a man called Boaz. And he is particularly protective and kind. And he also turns out to be a, a relative of Naomi. And Naomi gives Ruth specific instructions, uh, what she's to do when she goes gleaning, and also lines up this whole scenario of her, Ruth in effect proposes to Boaz. That's that's quite bold, isn't it? And uh, she does it by following Naomi's instructions very carefully and going, lying down at his feet one night and uncovering the corner of his cloak and putting that over her, part of her. And that... Apparently, it was a symbol of her intention. So she doesn't exactly go and say, will you marry me? But her actions uh, suggest all of that. And Ruth does indeed, uh, Boaz, sorry, does indeed marry Ruth after first dealing with the claims of a nearer relative. And they go on to have a son, Obed. That's kind of a result, isn't it? So let's look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 to 18. And we pick up the story as Naomi has decided to uh, return to Bethlehem with her two daughters-in-law in tow. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them And they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. That's quite-
quite a class act, I have to say. And uh, mind-blowing verses in some ways, aren't there? Ruth cannot be persuaded to turn back. She won't have any of it. She refuses to go back in the same way that Orpah did. And the word that's used is clung. Ruth clung to Naomi in verse 14. And that's usually the word applied either to a marriage relationship or a very deep personal friendship. It's not a sort of superficial word. Uh, I guess maybe a limpet to a rock is the sort of thing that comes to mind. Clung. It also speaks of covenant. Ruth is willing to share Naomi's future, her home and her faith. And it's a promise of committed faithfulness in life and for the rest of her life. Ruth is willingly making herself a foreigner in order to fulfil the promise she's now making. Her declaration of faith in the God of Israel. So there's a whole lot of transition things going on as Ruth says these words. Leaving her people, her gods, her lands and making, linking up completely with Naomi. It's possible that through all the years they had spent together, Ruth had understood enough from Naomi's example to know that this was the path for her. When they were back in Bethlehem, Ruth continued to be obedient to Naomi. She's totally committed to all her mother-in-law tells her to do. And the story ends with Ruth and Boaz having a son. All the years Ruth was married to Naomi's son, there were no children. And yet this second marriage brings about a son, Obed. It's also a consolation for Naomi. She's now got family again through Ruth. That child is seen for Naomi to be a restorer of life and a comfort to her in her old age. Her bitterness has now gone. The book of Ruth, as we read, Naomi refers to herself. She almost takes on the identity of being bitter. And this son is the one that takes away her bitterness. Of course, what they didn't know, none of them in this story, but where the book of Ruth ends up, is that Obed became the grandfather of David, the second king of Israel. David, we probably all know, was described as a man after God's own heart. In spite of all his mistakes, that's the description that's given of him. And David, as the line of David, eventually comes Jesus. So this decision that Ruth made, I will go where you go, brought about Obed, the grandfather of David, and ultimately it was out of that line that Jesus came. Quite um, an impact that decision then went on to have. Quite an inheritance came from that one right decision she made with the right heart. So what does this then have to say to us about making good decisions? Well, firstly, Ruth's decision was made out of relationship. And it's much easier to make the right decision when we know the people it will impact and we want to bless them. And clearly that was part of what went into Ruth's decision making. Although she's her daughter-in-law and not her daughter, there's still a family connection. You know, for us in the church, there's a family connection. And our decisions that we make within the church context 
will impact one another and we just need to be aware of that. Ruth's decision blessed and our decision too should bless one another. Ruth's decision was a sacrificial one. After all, she was going with an older lady uh, who clearly kind of felt that her own life was coming to an end. I'm too old to have husbands, too old to have children, so we know that she's an older lady. And their future was by no means certain. They anticipated that they would be going back into some degree of poverty. After all, gleaning was the way that she was going to be able to sustain both of them. So there were no guarantees here. When she made this decision, she did not know what the outcome was going to be. That's what happens when we sort of make a decision, trusting God and having faith in that decision. There are no guarantees. We just need to lean hard on God and trust in him. And we then have to step out and go with that decision. But the story ends up far better than either of them could have imagined ends up with this child that then goes on to produce David part of what Ruth said in her commitment to Naomi was your God shall be my God so her decision would bring her closer to God and I think a good indicator for us about our decision making will this decision bring me closer to God will it deepen my relationship with him and I would suggest that you know, for some of you maybe you've got decisions to make is the decision you're going to make bring you closer to God and if it will then that's a good indicator it could be the right decision Ruth's decision was for the long haul she knew that it was going to be for life she said that when she made her decision this wasn't a passing fad that was going to um, go do we make decisions with the big picture in mind are we willing to make a decision that's going to be for the long haul so how do we react when we're asked to consider being involved with something do we think well somebody's asked me so I better say yes I mean that's the right thing to do isn't it if as Christians we're asked to do something well yeah I better I've been asked and then we're thinking I don't really want to do this so I'll say yes because that seems to be the right thing to do but the back of your mind you're thinking of an exit strategy okay I'll get out of this in a few months because it's not really what I want to be doing so I would suggest we need to be really honest Ruth was honest in the decision we made, she made we need to be honest with ourselves and others when making decisions particularly when it comes to commitments so maybe here's a scenario you're asked to help with children's work some of you you might think well yeah I could do that and I'd do it for the long haul or you might think no way wild horses wouldn't get me involved in that or you might think well I could perhaps do it for a while to help get things going or get them re-established or whatever the situation is but actually I don't feel I can do it forever in a day I would suggest to you just say that if you be honest in your response you don't have to be brutal in it you know say, you know something that's going to offend someone you can say no nicely um, it, it is a little uh, 
no for some of us doesn't come easily, but we can say no, and it's really fine to say no, but let's be honest in our decision making. And if it's time to do, stop doing something, be honest with that as well. But I would just put in a plea, handle that well. If you feel you're committed to something, whether it's work or some in the home context or something within the church, and you need to stop doing it, then handle that well. Um, a, little, a few months ago, somebody came to Colin and myself and said that they were going to have to stop leading group, and what's more, they wanted to stop leading it by a really, really, really short deadline. And... Uh, we, we've had to step in and lead that group and thankfully there are now other leaders who are going to be taking that on but it, it is difficult for those you know somewhere there's got to be either somebody else has got to pick up that work or else it stops there aren't too many other choices so if you, if you decide to pull out then I would just encourage you to, to handle it well and talk that through and what's a realistic time when you can finish that. Does, that. does that make sense? I think sometimes we can get ourselves into a position where we feel pressurised. We don't know which way to, to go. We know we need to relieve the pressure somehow. So we then sort of look at, okay, what can I give up? What can I give up tomorrow or even today? You know, and we try and drop it as quickly as we can because we feel the pressure. If, if for you the pressure's building, then do something about it sooner rather than later. Does that... Does, don't reach crisis point with it and then everything sort of falls apart and it, because the falling apart will have implications for others but if you feel actually you know this is the time to start giving things up then handle that well as you then move on okay does that make sense okay the next thing what happens when we make a wrong decision now Ruth didn't she made the right decision but we sometimes don't always get it right, do we? And we can sometimes find ourselves we're in a bit of a mess. And I wonder if Elimelech and Naomi made the wrong decision in going from Bethlehem to Moab. I don't, I don't know. Um, and neither do any of the commentators that I've had a look at know either. But they went from a place, a house of bread, to a foreign land who were enemies to Israel. It doesn't seem a hugely logical and maybe even a wise decision, but that's what they did. I wonder if they checked out with anybody else before they set out or whether they just decided, hey, let's go. Uh, and we can maybe do that. We can think, oh, this is the decision, I'm going to do it. And we don't always check out with others as to, you know, is this the best way forward? Is this the right way? So if we have made a wrong decision and it was done out of disobedience, the first thing is, of course, to repent before you do anything else is to repent and sort it out with God and it might be you maybe need to sort it out with others too if you've made a bit of a mess okay? we, we all do it from time to time you know, but we, we get boxed into a corner and we feel so ashamed that we've made this mistake and you know, maybe people don't really know we've made it and if I keep quiet nobody else will know the reality is probably some people do know and we, you know, it's just hard then for us to move on in a good heart if we have stuffed up somewhere and we need to put it right so repent if necessary sometimes we make a decision and actually it was a mistake it wasn't a big sinful mess it was just a mistake and we just need to say look I'm sorry if I um, upset you or did anything I didn't intend anything but I just dropped the ball and that's all we you know we just need to put it right and walk in it in a way that then brings freedom for ourselves and freedom for others 
Um, Paul Johnson, who I made reference to a little while ago, uh, he tells this story when he's doing decision making with the FP guys, the, the trainees. Uh, he, t he takes his kids to the park quite often and he's got four, last count, it was four, and um, they're quite young and fairly boisterous. Yeah, it's four. I was thinking then perhaps it's five. No, it's four. And uh, he, he, he takes them with bikes and scooters and all the rest to the park. And you know what youngsters are like under ten? They've got more energy than the rest of us put together. And they, they want to go off. And they'll say to him, Dad, which way should we go? Now, this particular part in Bedford is basically a circular path. And if you start at one point, it doesn't matter if you go to the left or the right, you end up back where you started ultimately if you go long enough and um, he usually say to them oh it doesn't matter or we'll go this way or that way like he says they're not old enough to know they're left from the right so he'll usually direct them and off they go unfortunately he has one of his sons Nathan you know okay and he he's a little bit more adventurous than the others and he doesn't necessarily stay on the path he'll want to go he has a magnetic attraction towards the road which you can also get to out of this park so as PJ describes it if Nathan's starting to go off he'll go Nathan come back and if Nathan's still in here go Nathan come back and if he's still travelling in the wrong direction he'll go Nathan and he, he, he it's a surprise time. come back he'll shout that's a bit loud on that. Sorry about that. Sorry. Anyway, he's looking to us on the internet or whatever. Um, and, and if he still is going in the wrong direction, he'll run after him. Now, Paul then makes the point that a loving father runs after his children if he sees them going in the wrong direction. Okay. If we've put everything in order in terms of, have we prayed about a decision? Have we asked God you know, what does he want us to do? Have we asked others, what do you feel is the right thing to do? If we waited on God, and we decide, okay, this is the way we're going to go, and we go off, God can still grab us back and bring us back to the right place, okay? And, and, but that does mean we've got to keep listening to God, keep spending time with God. You know, those basic building blocks have got to be in place as we're making our decisions. All right, does that, does that make sense? Um, you know, and there, there is a difference between trying to work out, okay, what, God, what do you want me to do? And hearing God's voice and then saying, oh, I'm not going there, I'm going here. And going off in disobedience. They're, they're two different, different issues. Ruth was completely obedient. And she made her decision out of relationship with Naomi and her growing relationship with God, your God will be my God. That was her basis for making her decision, and off she went. But she didn't know the outcome from that decision, and often we don't. Sometimes when it gets a bit muddly, and we're gleaning in the field, and we feel this is a bit, I'm in a poverty thing going on here, and it's not working out well, we tend to think, have we made a mistake? Sometimes we've got, just got to stick at it, and stick at it for the long haul, and good will come out of it. Okay, just a well done, you're doing very well. All right, a couple of things then. Just how do we apply some of this? Two things I want to look at. Um, our commitment to others, particularly leaders in the church, and then our commitment to Jesus and our, our decision to follow him. All right, so the first thing I just want to say a little bit about... Um, 
is our covenant promise. And how does that work out with our leaders? Now I think actually when it comes to saying to leaders, look where you go I will go. We somehow we feel, I don't know, am I right instead of throwing my lot completely in with church leaders maybe, <laughs> elders, whatever it is. And we sometimes think, maybe this isn't wise, we maybe need to hold something back. You know, maybe they've got to earn our um, willingness to follow them. However it looks, I think there's something in our culture, our DNA, that says, I'm not, yeah, I'm part of this church, I'm part of where it's going, I get the vision, I love the leaders, but I'm not entirely willing somehow to say, okay, where you go, I will go, I'm going to do this to the death, this is where I'm at, I've signed up, this is for the long haul. Am I the only one that thinks a little, feels a little bit like this, I just need to, I need to kind of... Yeah, keep something back um, you know just in case things go wrong I can I've not saddled my horse to theirs okay and we can we can just be a little bit like that now I'm not suggesting in kind of throwing our lot in with the leaders where you go I will go your people will be my people that we have a blind slavish following yes sir no sir three bags full so I'm not advocating that but there is something very freeing actually for our leaders and for ourselves in saying alright where you go I will go your people are my people we are in this together let me just give you a couple of examples for me a friend of mine Gaynor rang me up about um, two years ago, I suppose, maybe even longer than that, and said, um, Ruth, I'd just like to hang out with you a bit more. I'd like to, when you go and pray with people, I'd like to come with you. And when you go and perhaps do talks with another context, I'd like to come with you. And when you're doing evening sessions with the FP students, I'd like to be there and support you. I'd just like to come and cheer you along and just learn. And, and, we, and she just kind of said, and she said, is that, is that all right? Or am I sort of overstepping the mark? And I, it was one of those moments, I'm, I'm not often speechless, but I genuinely was when Gaynor said to me, I thought, how, why would you want to come and do that? So I said, once I caught up with everything that she was saying I kind of said yes Gaynor I'd love I'd be absolutely thrilled for you to come and we've been to London and we've been to East Grinstead and Gaynor's joining me next week for some stuff and I have counted it one of the privileges of my life to have her come with me and just do things and I can ring her out or send her a text message and say can you put this date in your diary and she'll ring back yeah love to and it's just I've found it it's like having someone hold my right hand in those sort of contexts and I find it so freeing and Gaynor says to me, I love doing this stuff with you and I'm not anybody, don't, I'm not anybody special, okay? I don't want you to run away with it. I'm not, all right? But we're just having fun doing stuff together and that's what it has been, genuinely having fun. And it's not just so that we indulge our own thing but having fun and seeing youngsters um, get closer to God and get free of some stuff and I've, you know, it genuinely has been uh, profitable for the kingdom of God. And I've loved it. And so she. But how often, how often does that happen? How often have I done that? How often have you done that where you've 
just rung them out and said, look, I just want to come with you. I just want to help serve you. I just want to be there with things. All right? And that's not that can sometimes be a cost. It's been a costly thing for Gaynor. She's had to. Um, you know, it's been midnight, one o'clock sometimes, when we've got back to Bedford together. That That is costly. And yet she's done it. And I, I find that a provocation to me about, okay, um, you know, what am I going to do to go with people more? Um, we did it with a guy called Joel Virgo who, Virgo, who was at our church at the time, when New Day was first being rumoured way back when. Um, Joel was looking to build a team and we went to Joel and we said look, we'll get involved, we'll help, we'll do it and we said to him at the time we'll do it for the long haul and we were involved for five years and um, I tell you we got more out of it than we ever put in and sometimes being at New Day and seeing hundreds of youngsters get saved has just been the very best. So although sometimes it's costly like with Ruth and Naomi, there was Obed, there was fruit, there was blessing and fruit. I, you know, there, there will be for us. Although sometimes it is sacrificial, there will be fruit. I would say we're not looking for perfection from our leaders. <laughs> yes. Just a, what we are looking for our, our leaders is a heart that loves God, and from them a willingness to shepherd the people. We need to honour one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is what Romans 12.10 says. So, saying to our leaders, okay, where you go, I will go. And accepting that will be costly, but there will be fruit as a result of it. And the second thing I just want to say something about is, I want, for each one of you, go... In your mind, go back to that moment when you got saved, when you said, okay, Jesus, I'm yours. All right. Now, in that moment, when the truth dawned, actually, what Jesus had done for us, and that there was a personal response needed from us, we didn't hugely debate the whys and wherefores. When we said, just as I am, without one plea, here you are, have the whole lot, or whatever, situation it was when we got saved we just said take me here am I we were swept off our feet some of us I think I mean it's 40 years ago when I became a Christian I can still remember the day some of you it might have been more of a process but there will have come a point when you said I'm yours Jesus do with me whatever you want but sometimes what can happen is going from that moment of I'm yours, your people are my people, where you go, I will go. We almost start to renegotiate what we've done. We nibble little bits back. So we maybe say to God, I really want a husband or a wife, or I want somewhere nice to live, or I want children, or I want a job that satisfies, or health, or whatever it may be. And whatever stage of our life, we, we then start to have expectations that being a Christian we ought to have back from God. And we almost start to renegotiate the contract. So instead of being unequivocal, yep, I am completely yours. You take me and use me as you want. I'm willing to go wherever you go. We then start to say, actually, I have this bit back. 
And, and sometimes, to be honest, we don't, I haven't, when I've done it, I haven't necessarily realised I've done it, but this kind of shift starts to happen. It's not so much we've backslidden, but we've just shifted a little bit and we've gone off the boil or whatever words we want to say. We stop saying, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. That wholeheartedness has been watered down a little bit. And I think that perhaps is the thing I want to leave you with. Where are you with your wholeheartedness with Jesus? Are you still still saying, yes, Lord, take me, I'm yours. Use me as you want to. Or has some drift crept in? And uh, I'm going to pray for us in a minute, if that's all right. And then I'd, I'd like us to sing. Um, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Because worship is all about putting Jesus first. And if any of you just feel you just need to kind of redress any drift that's happened, then I just encourage you to do that. Is that all right? Okay. Okay, I'm just going to pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you keep calling us back to yourself. And you call us back, Lord, with real love in your eyes and real love in your heart. Because you want the very best for each one of us. And the very best is that we follow you, we walk with you. Your plans are the very best. They're plans to (coughs) prosper us and not to harm us. Father, just for myself, I just want to give myself again to you this day. I want to be wholehearted for you. I don't want there to be any drift, any watering down of a life lived with you. And Father, whatever adjustments and changes and alterations that need to be made, I pray we'd make the right decisions, God, that Holy Spirit, you just bring things to mind, just clarify things for us. Just help us to decide again for you. Your people are our people. I will go wherever you go. Where you lay your head, I will lay my head, Lord. We want to go on a life of adventure. Ruth went on a life of adventure and although she was a foreigner, God, she became part of the people of God. And I pray for each one of us that even if we feel slightly outside God, that we would just come back to the heart of worship we would be right at the centre of your purposes for us as individuals and as a group of people we ask this in your name Lord, Amen We hope you enjoyed this podcast Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 